Hey there, and welcome to the One Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. If you'd like to know more about life at One Church, visit us online at weareone.church or check us out on social media. Thank you, Annabelle. Brilliant. It's great to be with you this morning because there was lots of things I could have spoken about. And so I decided to speak about them all. <laughs> um, so what I've decided to title this message is the four-hour and 30-minute message. No. <laughs> this is five miscellaneous lessons I've learned in life. Five miscellaneous lessons I've learned in life because I couldn't decide on which one to speak about. So I, speak and I, I decided I'd speak on all five, uh, uh, but they're not necessarily connected. Okay, so don't think of this as a message with like point one, two, three, four, and five, and they all match. They're just five lessons. Is that all right? And they might be different. But they're things I, when I was praying about us this morning as a church, I was, I was praying and I was thinking, what, what does God want me to share? These are the things that came out. And I am so glad that Noah has got a front seat this morning. Hey, Noah, on the front row, leading by example with your crisps. Love it. Love it. Fantastic. Lesson number one, okay, if you're taking notes, if you've got a phone, if you've got notepads, always good to take notes. It helps to just settle those things in you and you don't forget them. So, number one is this, faith comes from the word of God and nowhere else. I want to talk to you about faith for a couple of moments. Faith comes from the word of God and nowhere else. You don't go to Asda if you're in the business of buying a car. Okay, you don't, do you? You don't go to Asda. You don't go to Greg's to buy a dress. You don't go to Apple to buy oranges. If you're in the business, if, you're, if you've got a heart for faith, and you're saying, I want faith, there's only one place you go. Only one place. The Word of God. I want to talk to you about faith for a couple of moments. Jesus said this, okay? These three different things Jesus said. He said to his disciples at one point, why do you still have no faith? This was in the, when the storm was breaking out on the boat, do you remember? He said, do you still have no faith? Say the word, no faith. no faith. Then he said to them a little bit later on, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 26, he said this to them. He said, you of little faith. You of little faith. Say little faith. So they've had no faith. Right now, he's saying, you've got little faith. And then this woman comes along to him in Mark, no, in Matthew chapter 15. This woman comes to him. She needs her daughter to be healed. And Jesus says over this woman, you have great faith. Say great faith. These are three things Jesus said. You have no faith. You have little faith. You have great faith. What does that tell us about faith? Well, for me, it tells me that faith is our choice. It's in our kind of ability. It's in our responsibility. The faith that we display is nothing to do with God. It's everything to do with the amount of confidence we have in God to do what he says he will do. So faith is really the measure of your confidence in God. Faith is really the measure of your ability to trust in God, okay? And to some people, Jesus said, where is it? I can't find it. You've got no faith. Where? I'm looking for it because I want to, it, it pleases God, faith, doesn't it? And he's looking for it. He's like, oh, I can't find any faith here. 
For others, he said, oh, it's not where it could be. You've got little faith. Come on. And he's trying to inspire them to, to have more confidence in him. And then to the woman who came to him for the healing of her daughter, he said, you've got great faith. Isn't that brilliant? It's also a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge for me because I have to tell you, there are days in my life where I probably got no faith or little faith. I want to be somebody who could Jesus could say, Mike's got great faith. Great faith. But listen, he, he doesn't do that for me. It's not like I pray a prayer and then Jesus just goes, there's great faith. Doesn't, doesn't work that way. Faith is like a seed and faith grows. But faith grows from one place and one place only. That is your revelation of the word of God. Let me put it another way. The source of faith, especially great faith, comes from knowing the Bible and being so confident in what God is saying to you that you cannot do anything else but believe it. Are you with me? You can't go to Asda to buy a car. You can't go to the media or TV or film to get faith. You've got to go back to the original source. It tells us in the Bible that faith comes from the word of God. In Romans chapter 10, verse 7, it says, I think we've got a slide for this. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Is there a slide for that? Oh, there is. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. This is saying, where does faith come from? the word, the message, the Bible. So what does this look like for me practically? It's one of the lessons I've learned in life is when I'm not reading my Bible, guess what happens to my faith? I'll give you a guess. It's not great faith. When I love the Bible, guess what happens to my faith? Now, now, there's a difference between belief and faith. I've just got to explain this to you because I still believe in God. It's not like when I don't read my Bible, I don't believe. I still do believe. But the living, if you like, edge of my faith is blunted. Another way of describing it is like this. Imagine there's a bridge uh, bridging a chasm, a great chasm, okay? And you approach the bridge and you want to get to the other side. It's not just enough to believe that the bridge exists. I believe the bridge is there. I believe there's a bridge. It only really becomes faith when I step onto the bridge and use it. Does that make sense? I believe the bridge is there. Even the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It doesn't benefit them. And some of us are happy often just living our lives with belief. Yeah, I believe. And that's a good thing. But do I actually step onto the bridge and begin to live in it and exercise it and walk across the bridge and actually get to the promises of God? And the things God's got for me, well, that's another thing. That takes faith. So there is a difference between belief and faith. And I have learned that sometimes I personally happy to default to my belief and think is enough. But what I need is faith. Because belief isn't what moves mountains. Belief isn't what brings peace in the storm. Belief is a theological or philosophical idea. Belief 
is good, but when I need God, what I need is faith. And you've got lots of people around Jesus who believed in him enough to follow him, but he still said to them, you've got no faith, or you've got little faith. But he was looking for people with great faith. And the only way we're going to live with great faith is if we are so consuming and eating and digesting the scriptures that it begins to grow faith within us. It's, it's like, it's not magic, because that's the wrong word. It's supernatural. When you read the Bible, sometimes you may read it and go, oh, didn't really get much from it today. That's normal. Don't beat yourself up. But what happens is, over time, reading, reading, maybe a chapter a day, maybe a few verses, use your uh, plan on you version, on your, on your Bible app, on your phone, as you're reading, as you're hearing it, as you're listening to messages and podcasts, as you're listening to me waffle on about it, what's happening is, as you're doing that, it's, it's filling your mind and it's filling your heart and something supernatural is taking place because as the word gets in, it washes you, it changes the way you think, it shores up your faith, it strengthens your confidence, it strengthens your trust, and then when you need it, it's there. It's there because you've been doing that work. So I want to tell you again today, one lesson I've learned in life is, it's the only place faith comes from. It's in the word. And it's not just enough to believe. It's not just enough to say I believe. You want to have faith. Faith today. Faith daily in God's work in your life. Does that make sense? Okay, just put your hand up. If that spoke to you this morning, I'm going to pray for you. Okay, there's a few people. All right. Dear Jesus, I pray that you would stimulate in each one of us an appetite again for your word. That, God, we wouldn't just see it as reading for the sake of reading, but reading that it would develop, strengthen our confidence and our faith in you. I pray we would get onto a new Bible app this, this week. I pray that you would help us just to each day find a few minutes in, in a little bit of space in our week to spend time in your word. And I pray that as we do, you would speak to us. You would give us revelation. You would open our eyes. You would open our ears to hear you. And I pray as we do, our faith would move from where it is today to great faith. In Jesus' precious name, I ask it. Amen. Number two, lesson I've learned in life is this. Be faithful with the small things, and God will take care of the big things. You know, a little on earth is often considered big in heaven. And big on earth is often considered little in heaven. It's true, isn't it? Uh, just think about this. The Pharisees were considered a big deal on earth. They were the big deal. Okay? If people, um, if people wanted to know who, you know who was important in the time of Jesus, it was the Pharisees. They were a big deal. But not in heaven. Not in the mind of Jesus. Not if you see Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees. He was actually a bit annoyed with them. They were not a big deal as far as Jesus was concerned. The big deal as far as Jesus was concerned was the poor widow with the mite who gave the last penny that she had in the offering that day. And she was a big deal in heaven. Does that make sense? The Pharisees were the big deal on earth, but not to Jesus. The person that was a big deal to Jesus was the one who gave that little mite, the widow, into the offering. Because a little on earth is often big in heaven, and big on earth is often little in heaven. 
So there's this verse, Luke chapter 16. Let's read it. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. In fact, in one version of the Bible, it says, if you can be trusted, if you can be trusted with little, God can trust you with much. But that word if is a really important word. It's actually missing in this particular uh, rendering of that verse. But the word if is really important because the word if means this. It's a challenge for you and I. The thing I've learned is that faithfulness is not a talent issue. It's a character issue. It's an if. If you are faithful with little. Not when you are. (laughs) If you are. Well, that puts it on me, doesn't it? It puts it on us to be faithful. It's, it's kind of if you're faithful with little, God can trust you with much. And I think I've learned that my character is more important to God than my talents. It's more important than any gifts I might have along the way or anything I might develop. Do you know I can play the piano? But it doesn't matter to God. What matters to God is not whether I can play the piano or not. I never do anymore. But what matters to God is not whether I can kick a football. It's not whether I'm particularly intelligent. What matters to God is the heart, the character of my, of my life. And it's character that determines whether I'll be faithful with the little or not. And what I've learned is if I'm faithful with the little things God gives me, then God trusts me with a bit more. I'm a steward. That means God has granted me a certain amount of time, hopefully 120 years. <laughs> he's, he's entrusted me with time. He's entrusted me with some gifts and talents. And he's entrusted me with finance. And he's entrusted me with resources. And he's entrusted me with people. And he's entrusted me with relationships. And he's put all of that in my care. And he has said, will you be faithful with what I've entrusted to you? And it's the shape of my character that will determine whether I am or not. Because Jesus warns time and time again, some people waste those things, fritter them, spend them on the wrong things, use their time the wrong way, use their finances the wrong way. But when we orient all of those things around God's purpose and plan for our lives, when we orient them around his mission, his kingdom on earth, when we seek first the kingdom above all else, when we go, I've got all this stuff I'm stewarding and I want to steward it around and for Jesus Christ to make him great, then God goes, blessing, blessing, and blessing. When I orient all of those things that God has granted me, all those things I'm to steward around myself to get something for me, God can't get involved in that. It's not that he doesn't want to. It's not that God doesn't want to bless us, but he can't get involved if I'm stewarding all that stuff the wrong way. And so I've learned in life, be faithful with the little things God has entrusted to you. Steward them for his glory. Steward them for his kingdom. Think about what he's entrusted to you. Think about what you are a steward of and go, God, how can I give this to you and glorify you with it? Is that, is that, that's what I've learned. I've learned faithfulness with the little is a big deal in heaven. When, we, when we're faithful, even with the might, the penny, it gets God's attention. 
Because you may be coming to church every week and that offering bucket's going around, for example, and going, I've got nothing to give to that. But even if you're faithful with a little, that gets God's attention. It really does. If you're thinking, I've not got much time, but if you're faithful with a little, God is faithful with much. So don't put the pressure on yourself to be Billy Graham before you can be faithful with the little things he's put in your pocket today, the little things he's put in your world today that you can be faithful with. Lesson number two, be faithful with the small things. God will take care of the big. If that's spoken to you, just raise a hand. I'm going to pray for you. Dear Jesus, for every hand raised this morning, where you're reminding us, God, that we are stewards of everything you've given us, I pray a new season of faithfulness, of faith, and of blessing over our lives as we seek to honor you with what you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Number three, I told you these were disconnected, and this one is completely different again. Um, attitude is everything in life, especially in church. Attitude is everything in life, especially in church. This is, uh, Thomas Jefferson said this, nothing on earth can stop the person with the right mental attitude from achieving their goal. But nothing on earth can help the person with the wrong mental attitude. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? Attitude, Winston Churchill said, attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. Attitude. I want to ask you today, where's your attitude? What's the posture of your life? What are you looking at things through? Which lens are you looking at things? What is your attitude today? I want to tell you, I've experienced this. I continually battle with my attitude. Some days I wake up and inexplicably just have a bad attitude before I've even got out of bed. I don't know why. I do. Anybody else? <laughs> Attitude's something, again, that's within our ability to control and choose. I choose the attitude with which I live life. I can live with a positive attitude. Even in horrendous circumstances, I can live with a positive attitude. Nobody can change that. About it. Nobody can take that away from me. You know, I remember hearing a story of a couple of prisoners in the Second World War, and they were held in a cell that had no window. It was a dark cell, and they were held in it for months. And literally, the, the guy who told the story when they were eventually released, he said this, they took everything from me. They took my clothes they took my ability to do anything. They took my, my pen and my paper. They took, they took the light from the cell. They took everything away from me. But I learned there was one thing they could not take from me. And that was my ability to choose how to respond. And I decided to get a good attitude about it. Isn't that incredible? The world can take everything from you, but it cannot take away your ability to choose how you will respond. You can respond with an attitude of faith, with an attitude of hope, with a positive attitude. No matter what you're going through, you can get up and you can decide to be grateful, to praise, to worship, to honor. No one can take away that. Now, sometimes you will feel grumpy. I feel grumpy sometimes. Even, and I'm a pastor, and I feel like sometimes the grumpiest pastor on planet Earth. I feel grumpy but I choose an attitude of faith. Here's four quick 
attitude battles you might face if you're anything like me. Number one, the can't-won't attitude battle. We often say we can't, but that's not really the truth. The truth is we won't, and that's an issue of attitude. Does that make sense? We'll often say, oh, I can't do that, but what you're covering up is the fact that really you won't do that, and if you won't do it, that's an issue of attitude, not an issue of can't. You might find that comes along. It does to me. Number two, you might have to fight a mediocre attitude. A mediocre attitude is not overly excited about anything. I'm just getting by. Just getting by. But that's quite mediocre. And the last thing we need on earth is Christians full of Jesus who are mediocre. We need to have something about us that is uh, attractive to the world. Not mediocre. Number three, third attitude is the got the t-shirt attitude. And the got the t-shirt attitude is I've been there, I've done that, I've passed it. But the problem is God might want you in front of it again. So got the t-shirt attitude. Ah, oh, I've been there, done that. And God might say to you, yeah, but I want you to go there and do it again. Oh, does that make sense? Number four, cynicism. Cynicism is an attitude. It's an overwhelmingly negative attitude about anything new, anything different, and anything beyond our comfort zone. So when something new is suggested, when some new path or some idea is brought, because of cynicism, what we do is we go, we try to shoot it down. And it's not an issue that that is the wrong idea. It's just an attitude, an attitude that doesn't want to push through a comfort zone, an attitude that doesn't want to be different or do different. So listen, I've given you those four battles because I have experienced all four of those and continue to in my life. And I no doubt you will have experienced one or two of those as well. Camp won't, mediocre, got the t-shirt, cynical attitude. But imagine if a church was full of people like that. Wouldn't get anywhere, would we? Wouldn't do anything for Jesus. Wouldn't see any change in our world. Wouldn't fulfill the Great Commission. We wouldn't make disciples. We wouldn't go to the ends of the earth. We wouldn't fulfill the things that Jesus has called us to as a church or as Christians if we've got that kind of attitude. But if we've got a positive attitude, if we've got an attitude of humility, an attitude of grace, an attitude of hope, an attitude of expectancy, an attitude that's willing to change, anything is possible. Check your attitude. What attitude did you come in today with? Let's pray. Father, may this be a church and a people with the highest of attitudes. That, Father, that the choices we make day to day would be to have an attitude of humility and of hope and of expectancy and of faith. And that, Father, we wouldn't let those old fleshly attitudes of grumbling and cynicism and stuff like that take over, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Number four. Failure is not terminal. I'm going to read to you the story of David, and I want you to tell me whether this is a failure or a success. Are you ready? Okay. Chosen to be Israel's next king. Right, let's start that again. Failure, <laughs> failure or success. Chosen to be Israel's next king. Hey, well done, David. Defeats Goliath with a sling and a stone. Yeah, brilliant. Wins many battles as a courageous commander. Good. Uh, is threatened by Saul and runs away from Israel. Oh. 
is afraid of the king of Gath, so he pretends to be a madman to avoid confrontation. Hmm. Has the opportunity to kill Saul, but resists the temptation. Yeah, well done, David. Becomes the king. Yeah. Commits adultery with Bathsheba. Commits murder to cover up the adultery. Repents and returns to God in humility and owns the consequences. Oh, well done, David. Confronts and stops a rebellion involving his own son. Prepares Solomon for the purpose of building a temple in Jerusalem. What did we learn? Life is rarely all success. Quite frequently, it's success, success, failure, failure, success, failure, success, success, failure. And what do we learn from David? Failure is not the end of the story. What about Moses? Stands up to the Egyptian bullies, but kills a man in the process. Failure. Come on. Runs away to the desert for 40 years to look after sheep. The sheep are happy. Obeys God and stands up to Pharaoh. Sees God's miracles as he uses his staff. Leads the people out of Egypt. Parts the Red Sea. Takes on too much work and suffers burnout symptoms. Climbs Mount Sinai and receives the Ten Commandments. Gets angry with the people and smashes the Ten Commandments in rage. Climbs Mount Sinai to receive new copies of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Writes the first five books of the Bible. But misses out on reaching the promised land after distrusting God during a test. David and Moses are pretty much the high point of the Old Testament, these two guys. You, you know, maybe one or two other characters, but Moses and David are up there. And what we see from their lives are... Success, success, failure, failure, success, failure, failure, success, success, failure. And what we learn is that failure is never the end of the story if you get back up again and you try again. And there are some pretty hefty failures on that list. But God was still faithful and God was still gracious and God was still kind. And if you think back over your life as I do mine, there's failures and there are successes. But what determines my future is how I handle those. I've actually found at times failure can be a great friend because you get wiser and you get stronger and you learn. And I know you, I know many of you, and I know you have been through great successes and traumas at the same time. I know you have been through horrible situations and I know you've had some wonderful moments in life. We all do. But failure does not have to be the end of your story. It does not have to be the end of your usefulness to God. It does not have to be the end of your self-esteem. It does not have to be the end of your joy. It does not have to be the end of your peace. It's a temporary bump in the road. And if we can learn from David and Moses today, you can get back up again and keep going. If if that's spoken to anybody this morning, raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Father, for every person who's been wounded by a failure or failures in life, this morning I pray they would see again with fresh eyes and fresh hope that you are with them, that it is not the end, that it is not terminal, and that we have hope in you, that we can continue to grow and learn and become the wise men and women of God you've called us to be. Amen. Take the sting out of that failure. Stop letting it rule you. Define who you are.
You're awesome. God loves you. God thinks the best of you. And he's still got stuff for you to do. Last one, and then we're going to finish. Actually, I didn't show the Bible verse for that one. Sorry, this is one of my favorite Bible verses. Can you flip back? I love this Bible verse. Write this one down. Micah chapter 7, verse 8. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Isn't that a brilliant verse? Some of you need to pull that one out there when you feel like that. Though I have fallen, I will rise. And for somebody in the room this morning, you need to take that away and memorize that. I will rise. Say, I will rise. rise. Good. Last one, number five. A great church is not great by accident. Let's read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That sounds like a great church. So I want to make an announcement this morning that we are from now on going to be meeting every day, not just Sundays. Every day. You, I, well, you, no, I'm joking. That sounds like a great church. There was, there was a, a buzz about that church. There was life in that church. There was energy in that church. There was, there was willingness in that church to be together every day. They, they loved it. It was life for them, and it was great, and people were getting saved every day. And you know, if anything, I've learned that that doesn't happen by accident. Great churches don't happen accidentally. Great churches take great effort. Great churches take great willingness. Great churches take more than a meeting, but meetings can be great too. Great churches take great hunger and desire, and great churches take great commitment. You just can't get it without that. You want a great church, we've got to put a great amount of effort into it. We've got to have a great heart for it. We've got to have a great passion for it. We've got to be willing sometimes to do great things to make it great. But it won't happen by accident. It won't happen just because we turn up. Great church doesn't happen just because we made it through the door. Great church happens because we take what God has given us and we throw it with all of our heart at at the hands of God and pray with all of our hearts that he does something supernatural through it. We will have the church, not the the church that I build. We will have the church that we build. And I can't speak for you, but I can, in the time that God gives me, play my part in making it as great as I possibly can. That's what I've decided to do. I've decided I'm going to make it as great as I can. And... I'm hoping that you'll say it along with me. I I want it to be great. And not just great so we can enjoy it, but great because our community needs a, a great church. 
because our children in the back hall there need a great church. I'm passionate about Jackson growing up in a church he loves coming to. And I've learned along the way that you can't fake that. You can't get it accidentally. You have to make it. You have to put your heart into it. You have to put your heart and soul in it. You have to own it like you own your home. You can't treat it like a hotel and expect it to be a home. You have to own it like it's your home. You have to come to it and you have to, you have to say, that mug is mine, so I'll wash it up. Yeah. <laughs> you have to say, those chairs are mine. Those people are my brothers and sisters. I'm going to love them like they're my brothers and sisters. You have to own it and love it and give your heart and soul to it. And you know what? We might never be thousands of people, but that's not what we're really after. What we're after is being a church that produces fruit, great fruit, because we put great seeds in the ground, because we stewarded what God gave us well, and we put our heart and soul into it. So I want to encourage you this morning. I think we're a really good church. I think we've got the potential to be a great church. So when you arrive on Sunday morning, come with that in your heart. Will you? Will you join me? Come with that in your heart. Come with that in your mind. I'm going to make this great. By my involvement in it, by my heart, by my attitude, by my smiling, by my singing, by my listening, by my owning things. By I want to uh, Becca is great. I want to honor Becca. There's, I could honor lots of people. But I'll honor Becca because Becca makes our children's work great. She doesn't just settle for what it is. She keeps wanting to make it better. And that's your heart. And it shows. And because of you, you're making it great. It's a little thing. But we wouldn't be as good as we are if it weren't for Becca. And I know there's lots of people I could point out around the room and in the other room that make this place greater than it would otherwise be because they put their heart and soul into it. So let's do that, shall we? I will recap. Lesson number one. Faith comes from the word of God, nowhere else. Number two, be faithful with the small. God will take care of the big. Number three, attitude is everything in life and especially in church. Number four, failure is not terminal. And number five, a great church is not great by accident. Let's pray.